Bible, let's get on with the word of the Lord, John chapter 7. To no surprise, week 21, I counted, and uh, we're in week number 21 of our series of the Gospel of John, and this is going to be addressing some things that we need to hear this morning about Jesus, and if you think we're talking about Jesus a lot, then yes, I've accomplished something. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, I, I'd like to be known, you know, a lot of preachers are known for like single issues or just kind of like single uh, topics. I'd like to be known as the preacher that just always, he just wouldn't shut up about that Jesus. Amen. Uh, I think that's a good win for me as a preacher. And so I, I hope that's, that's how I'm viewed. Um, so one of the issues that I'm sure a lot of us have, I hope you don't have this issue. If, if you do, then you're probably at the wrong place. But uh, one of the things that I've found when we talk a lot about Jesus is a lot of people are like, you know, that's great, all that Jesus talk and everything, but can we talk about some practical things? Can we please, like, here, I need you to preach sermons about how to help my marriage, how to help my, my children, how to uh, help my finances, because I'm going through some financial issues. I need Jesus. I need, I need you to preach sermons about all of these different things, and that's all fine and dandy, because we do that here uh, at times. But he, the reality is, if you, if you can't see Jesus clearly, then, then you ain't going to see nothing right. Um, in fact, when you shed light, more light on who Jesus is, all that does internally is shed less, more light on who you ain't. All right. Uh, and so what's going to happen here um, is that there is a crowd of people who is making outlandish claims about Jesus, and there's a question of... Um, who is Jesus? The question of his identity is being put on trial among a lot of people. And so uh, John chapter 7, Jesus begins teaching. If you go back to last week, Jesus has began teaching again, which is what his brothers told him not to do. They tell Jesus, do more uh, signs, go do your thing, like, like take the rabbit out of the hat again, because they really liked it when you turn all that bread and fish and made it like real spectacular uh, fish fry and everything. Go do more signs, because that's what the people want, and that's how you're going to draw more people. And so they just didn't want Jesus to open his mouth again, and Jesus does what he do. He went out and started teaching Amen. again. And it's just going to cause a rift in all of these people, and they're going to be questioning his identity a lot. So John chapter 7, we're going to pick it up where we left off last week in verse 25, and here is the word of the Lord. Some of the people in Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And there he is speaking openly, and they saw nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. We know he's on down there from Bethlehem. Ain't nothing good coming out of that town. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. <laughs> so, after Jesus makes this crazy claim, they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs 
than this man has done? So let me just pause right there for just a few moments, and let's just let's talk that through for if we can. There's a lot of speculation going on in Jerusalem at this moment about whether or not this Jesus that's that's in the temple, that's preaching before these people, whether or not he is the Messiah or he is the Christ. He's far too ordinary. He's from the northern part of town. He is an uneducated person. And surely the Christ would not come from this region. Surely he would come expectantly and suddenly as many a thought that he would come. Surely he would come with a sword in his hand as a militant leader as though the thought was for some. Surely this can't be the Christ. Yet he performs all of these miraculous signs here in some of the crowd. Some of them yet are impressed by this Jesus, by his words and his deeds. And the question that many of them are wrestling with is, is this the Christ? Is this Jesus character up there talking? Is he the Christ? That's the question. Because the people were not aware of who Jesus really is. And so they are right to be asking, is this really the Christ? Imagine being in the presence of Jesus and Jesus make this claim about you. Imagine Jesus telling you, you think you know God, but you don't. Imagine like the dagger that would feel like, oh, wow, Jesus, like you need a hug or something. Like just imagine Jesus coming up on in this place this morning and saying, hey, you think you know God, but you really don't. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. You think you know God, but you don't. And the reason, why you, the reason why you don't know God is because you don't know me. Amen. Because if you want to know who God is, then you've got to know who Jesus is. Amen. And this is the audacious claim Jesus is making to the people. That if you want to know who the Father is, if you want to know who God is, then you've got to know who I am. Okay. Jesus says that I come from the Father. I come from Him. And other parts of John, this is... Uh, Jesus has all of these claims of his deity. And he's trying to redivert the crowd and tell them, listen, if you want to know the God that you think that you've been studying about for so long, then how about you look at me? Amen. So in question here of who is this Jesus, because there are a lot of definitions for them who Jesus is, right? Like we just said, like he was supposed to be this militant leader. Jesus was supposed to just come unexpectedly, and surely he wouldn't be coming from little old town of Bethlehem. And I think the same question is still being asked today in our culture, which is very sad. Who is Jesus? Because there are plenty of definitions of who Jesus is. You have the Jehovah's Witness Jesus, who is the brother of uh, or who is uh, Michael the Archangel. You have the Mormon Jesus, who is uh, the offspring of Heavenly Father and Spirit Mother. You, you have the Muslim Jesus, who is not God, who is just a teacher. You have the Bart Simpsons Jesus, who didn't turn water into wine, he turned water into Bloody Marys. You have, I thought that joke would work a little bit better, but apparently it didn't. I'll rewrite them later on. And, and you have, some of you are like, who are the Simpsons? Glad you asked. Don't ask. And even if you are a Christian in this room and you proclaim Christ 
There are plenty of forms of Jesus, yet they do not hold to the true Jesus. Because some of us, we like to mold our worldview around who we think Jesus should be. So, so, so some of us, our Jesus is the Republican conservative Jesus. Others of us, our Jesus is the liberal Democrat Jesus. Others of us, our, our Jesus is the prosperity gospel Jesus who will give us whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. Others of us, our Jesus is just there to be our bellhop. And I would just press on you that you have tried to mold your Jesus around a worldview, and that is not who Jesus is. He's not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not the prosperity garbage that's being presented to us. That is not who Jesus is. And so they are asking the question, who then is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Is this Jesus... Is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? And so this message that Jesus is giving them is a message of his authority. You want to know who Jesus is? Then you look to his authority. If you want to know who God is, you look to Jesus. You look to his authority. Amen. And I believe that not only what is being in question here is whether or not this is the Christ, but really the thing that's being questioned here is Jesus' authority. Who is this man to, to say these types of things? And to deny the authority of Jesus is to deny Jesus and to deny who God is. Now, how do we deny the authority of Jesus? That's the question for us today. How do you and I, how do we deny the authority of Jesus? Well, we can deny him by, by saying simply that uh, Jesus is not the only way. That's a worldview that is uh, even in the Christian realm is being believed. That is this universal idea, this universal view that there are multiple ways to heaven. But Jesus would say that I am from the Father and that there is only one way. John would later on and say that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Amen. That no one comes to me except through the Father who gives them to me. So a worldview out there would tell us and give us the idea that Jesus is not the only way. There are multiple ways. So in effect, that when we are denying the authority of Jesus, we're denying him. Another way we deny Jesus' authority means that we, um, we deny his word. Now, I know this is partly in what some of us in this room we even struggle with. When we deny his authority, we deny his word. We don't like certain things about Scripture, so we want to omit those things about what's uh, said in Scripture. We don't like the biblical view of life. Doesn't our culture teach us this? We don't like the biblical worldview of sexuality and gender. We don't like the biblical worldview of marriage. And so what we try to do is we try to fit these and mold these into our own worldview. We don't like what Scripture teaches us about generosity. How we know this is because at times we're selfish with our money. We do not like a lot of the things that Scripture would teach us. And when you omit those things and when you live counter to the biblical worldview, the biblical idea of life, the biblical worldview or the biblical idea of marriage and sexuality, when you are counter those things, you, in effect, have denied the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Another way that we deny the authority of Jesus is that we deny his grace. And here's how I deny his grace is when I try to live my life with the idea that I've got this, that I don't need God's help with my life. I don't need God's help with my situations. So what I do when I live my life like that is I deny his grace. I don't need your grace. I don't need to trust in your grace. I don't need to rely on your grace because I've got this. Who is Jesus is being asked. And to know God is to know who Jesus is. And I love his encounter throughout the New Testament is that Jesus is not looking for you to clean yourself up. He's not looking for you to have the answers. He's not looking for you to have the answers uh, to marriage, to sexuality, to all of these different uh, views. He's not looking for you to have the answer now because the moment you encounter Jesus, we'll read in just a moment, Holy Spirit comes inside of you and rivers of living water flow out of you and begin to sort out all of those things that you are questioning in your life. Now look at the second part of the text. Let's pick it up in verse 37. We alluded to this a little bit last week, and so we're going to just dive into it a little bit more this week. I want you to look at this invitation that, that Jesus is giving to everyone in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, as we mentioned last week about the Feast of Booth, there were like three big feasts that they celebrate. I mean, just think like Fourth of July, Thanksgiving, and Christmas in our day, like the Feast of Booths was one of those feasts. I mean, they had the cookout and everything. I mean, they didn't really have cookouts, but like just think like this was a big celebration for them. And the interesting thing that would what happened was every morning during this uh, season, this was typically around harvest time, around fall, a large golden container of water is brought to the temple by the priest. And while the these people pilgriming from all over would sing and rejoice. The priests would carry out the containers and in procession around the altar, he would pour out the water before the Lord. This is how this is, uh, these people would celebrate how God provided water for when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. So think about that. Here's Jesus now fulfilling that which was celebrated and now saying that come and drink of me and out of my living water will burst forth from without you living waters will flow out of you so suddenly this imagery of this golden containers being poured out is now being fulfilled with jesus saying come drink And I love this invitation because this invitation isn't just to one section of people. This invitation isn't just to one race. It isn't just to one uh, social economic group of people. He's saying, come one, come all and drink. Get your feel in, y'all. 
come and drink. It's this idea of a continuous drinking from the living water. And here he is, and he's saying, young, old, you who think you're still young, but you're getting old. You who are white, you who are black, you who are brown, you who are rich, you who are poor, all come and drink. This invitation should shock us and should reveal our passion for sharing the gospel of Christ. As I reflected on this particular part of this passage this week, I couldn't help but to think about the commission that Christ has given every single one of you to proclaim the good news of Christ, to proclaim the gospel, and give this same invitation to those who are around you. The New Testament is filled with stories of how Jesus had this burden and how he had a passion for the lost. Church, do we have a passion for the lost? Are we taking the same invitation that Jesus is giving to these people and saying, hey, I've got a living water for you that will satisfy you and will quench the longings of your heart. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you have a passion for the lost? Do you have a passion for those in your neighborhood who are looking for answers? Do you have a passion for those, uh, those students that go on the hallways of your school that are lost and do not know who the true Jesus is? Do you have a passion for them? Do you have a passion for those who are lost on your job? Do you have a passion for your lost, unsafe family members? Do you have a passion for those who are lost in your community, in your city. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people who are lost in this city, who do not know the true Jesus. It's almost like having the cure for an uncurable disease, and you got that cure, but you ain't going to share it with nobody. And here we have the cure for the disease of sin and death, and yet so many of us are just keeping it to ourselves while the world is dying around you with their what they think is an incurable disease. But we got the answer. We got the cure. And what are we going to do with that cure? What are we going to do with the remedy of sin and death, knowing we have it, knowing that we have been imputed the grace of Christ, Noting that Christ has lavished us with his grace. Yeah. Why, church, are we not lavishing that grace out on other people? Yep. That's one reason, right? This reminds me of Isaiah 55, verse 1, when the prophet says, Come, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. An incredible invitation that Jesus is presenting because Jesus has a passion for the lost. So Jesus here wants us to know who he truly is that's knowing Jesus. And here Jesus is wanting to make himself known to the world. That's been pretty much a theme of the Gospel of John. Know Jesus, make him known. No, and again, it's more than just following because weren't many of these crowds following Jesus? 
So it's very possible for you to say that I'm a follower of Christ and yet have no understanding of who the real Jesus is. How terrifying that would be for us that we say we're followers of Christ with our mouth, yet our hearts are far from him and we have no understanding and we do not know who the true Jesus of the Bible is. I want to know him and make him known. I want us as a church through this study of the gospel of John to know Jesus. That's more important for you to know how you can have five steps to better marriage, five steps to better finances. We have to know Jesus. And here Jesus is pressing. You got to make him known. Know Jesus, make him known. And here's the question, why is this so important? And the answer is pretty obvious. At the end of this chapter, it's because Jesus changes folk. Jesus changes folk. And that may seem like a long process for some, or it may be an instant process for others. There's a character I want you to look at in this text that we talked about several, several months ago, it seems. Nicodemus. We thought we heard the end of old Nick. But John is very clever in his writings. And he's wanting to point him back, pull him back into the narrative of Scripture because I want you to see a progress and a process that's happening. And my boy Nick, all right, we don't that kind of nickname basis. He was really named Nick, Nicodemus, all right? But anyway, you're from Hugley, you just call him Nick, all right? Look at verse 45. I want you to look at a few verses and let's, let's examine Nicodemus for just a second. The officers then came to the chief priests. I love this. Is, this is hilarious. And Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him in? And the officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way that this man speaks. And the Pharisees looked at him like, You had one job. That's my paraphrase. Like, listen to what he says. You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But this crowd which does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? <laughs> and they answered him, Oh, no. He doesn't say that. You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. I don't think John is putting Nicodemus here by accident. I'm wondering if you could think back in John chapter 3 if this invitation of new life, of being born again, has been haunting Nicodemus. I wonder if the hounds of heaven have been released on my boy Nick and it's just been troubling his soul. Because here we find Nick not in the darkness anymore. But now he's in the light coming to Jesus' defense. You see the progression here? Nicodemus was once ashamed, we can kind of assume, afraid maybe perhaps, of coming to Jesus in light in John chapter 3. So he goes to Jesus in the dark. And now we get Nick who's suddenly brought in the light and he begins to question and these Pharisees, like, like, like Jesus is like really having an impact. Like even the, the temple police were like, yo, man, I, 
I went to go try to arrest him, but you know he had some really good points. I just, I mean, we just couldn't reason to arrest him. And then Nicodemus is like, yeah, I mean, we're supposed to have a trial anyway, and you're doing this like against what law teaches us. And the Pharisees look at Nicodemus, and they're like, oh, no. Oh, so you, he done got you too, old Nick. So old Jesus done got you, boy. Mm-hmm. I see you. You just go on and search. I mean, you from that, they, they make this claim, are you from up north too? You one of them crazy northerners? You from up in the Galilee region too? One commentary, this was an old commentary I read, they said, he said, this could have been translated as like, like what are you, one of those ignoramuses? I don't know who says that anymore, but I just love that word when I saw that. Like, what you, an idiot from up north? You know, they can't drive up there. They just too blunt in your face up there. You from, <laughs> if you're from the north, I just described you. <laughs> so you just like them too. So they're accusing this, Jesus, this, this Nicodemus now who's coming to Jesus' side. Remember now from chapter 3, who once just could not wrap his mind around this whole uh, regeneration of being born again. It just, it just crushed him. He's like, I just don't understand this. And suddenly I'm just intrigued by these conversations so much because now we get a glimpse of when you see Jesus for who he really is, change happens. And for Nicodemus, this may have been a slow change because if you could think about the last part of the book of John, we find uh, Joseph, uh, not Josephus, one of those other J names. Uh, he goes off and he's looking, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, that's who he is. Um, he goes and he wants to purchase some things and he wants to purchase Jesus' body so that he can bury him. And who is with him? Nicodemus is. Not only is he with him, but he's done brought about some ointments with him. I mean, he has got his oils. I mean, he got all of his essential oils ready. He got that good lavender essential oil. I mean, he just got, he's just going to lather Jesus' dead body up. Isn't that interesting? Jesus in chapter, th in Nicodemus in John chapter 3, questioning, bewildered, couldn't understand it. Now here in chapter 7 comes to Jesus' defense. And at the end has this love for Jesus that we can assume. Because who's going to go to a dead body and anoint them? Not, I'm not. I mean, it's kind of weird. But here's Nicodemus. This is to me just an evidence of what can happen when you encounter the true Jesus. I don't know what Nicodemus' end really was, but what I see here is that Jesus had a lasting effect on him. Amen. Man who was a religious leader, knew the Torah, quote everything now, has just been, his heart and soul been ripped apart by Jesus all through an encounter. Why? Because the true Jesus changes people. 
Why is it so important then to know Jesus? Why is it so important to make him known? It's because Jesus changes people. That's why it's so important. That's what I believe John is trying to communicate in this chapter. Know Jesus. Know the true Jesus and make him known. Because simply put, Jesus changes people. Jesus changes people. You don't need five steps to a better marriage. You don't need five steps to increase your portfolio. Even if you ain't got no portfolio, that just sounds intriguing. They're like, what's a portfolio? I don't even know. But if you're one of those people who are trying to increase it, listen, I ain't got the answer for you. But what I can give you is an offer on the table that Jesus is giving you. Know Jesus and make him known because Jesus changes people. And that process and progress may look very different for many of us. It may seem like it's just taking far too long. And I can't, I don't know, I do not know how long it's taking for Nicodemus. Don't even know how his story ends. But what we can take from that is that when we encounter Jesus, he will change you. There's not a timeline on it, but he'll change you. Let me go back to this weird saying of Jesus. Drink of me. Anybody else have a problem with that? You're like, what? Nobody has a problem with that. I mean, is that not weird? Like, what are you going to do? Like, put drops of blood from your finger in my mouth? That's really awkward, Jesus. Like, what does that mean? These are hard sayings of Jesus. That may be another sermon series one day. Drink of me. I mean, just think how strange that would be if I came up to everybody and say, y'all drink of me. I need to move on. What does that mean? That's very weird. So what does that mean to drink of Jesus, the living water? <laughs> I love Donna. She's not going to be able to stop now. What does that mean? To drink of Jesus. It means we believe in the true Jesus. We have to believe who he is. We have to believe that these claims that he's making are true. The Jesus of the Bible is the true Jesus. We have to believe that in our souls. What does it mean to drink of Jesus? It means that we abide in Jesus. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? To rest. To know that he is our source. To know that he is all we need. To know that he satisfies us. That's what it means to believe. To to drink from Jesus. These living waters. To rest in knowing who Jesus is. Rest in knowing that he's good. And he does good. This, this, this is the gospel. This, the gospel isn't just what saves us, but it also, it keeps us. And that's what this living water does. It keeps us. It sustains us. It motivates us. It fuels us. This is the gospel. It is the answer to every question that we have in our life. Amen. And the invitation again 
has been the same invitation every week. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you looking for satisfaction? Are you looking for the longings of your heart to be filled? The answer lies in the person and the deity of Jesus. Let's pray. Father.